The following podcast is taken from a live broadcast on Inspire FM. Welcome, welcome to Friday Night Live. Uh, you're listening to Inspire FM 105.1 FM. My name is Zafrik Bal. Uh, and today, 24th of May, 19th of Ramadan, according to iPhone, and depending on when you started Ramadan, uh, we're going to talk about two very hot topics which have been in the media in the last couple of weeks or so. We're going to talk about uh, the government's rejection of the proposed Islamophobia definition. We'll have Naz Shah MP, who's the vice chair of the all-party parliamentary group on British Muslims. Inshallah, she'll be joining us shortly to talk about that. And we're going to talk about the We'll have Hilmi Ahmed, who's the Vice President of the Muslim Council of Sri Lanka, uh, on the line with us to discuss that, inshallah. So uh, it's a shortened program this week, uh, one hour long, uh, because of Ramadan, and, and I guess people have got other spiritual things to do rather than talk about geopolitics and, and what else is happening in the world. Uh, but there are very important things that we need to discuss. We need to discuss these because people need to know these affect us on a day-to-day basis. And we're going to talk about, first of all, uh, the main topic of our discussion for this half hour of the show, which is uh, about um, the proposed definition of Islamophobia, the government's rejection of it. Um, So Islamophobia has been a term that has been coined and accepted widely since the nineteen, since the late 90s. I think 1997 was when the Runnymede Trust um, defined it. Um, And now there's, there's a... There's an, uh, basically, there's a, a redefinition of it to link it to racism, uh, and according to the all-party, uh, all-party sort of parliamentary group on British Muslims, the definition uh, has been proposed as as being uh, as being sort of a racism which targets the expression of Muslimness um, or or. Uh, the uh, uh, the uh, appeared Muslimness. Uh, that's the uh, the definition that's been put forward, uh, and and this definition has been widely accepted uh, by most of the political parties. The Labour, SNP, Lib Dems, Plaid Cymru have accepted this definition uh, as because the expression of uh, anti-Islamophobia is in, in essence racism against Muslims and Muslimness. They have accepted that, and I think we've seen many cases where where this is more than a debate, and it's actually a physical violence against people who are outwardly and visibly Muslims. Now, the government has rejected it. Why has the government rejected it? Government has rejected it. Why? Why? Mm. Uh, with me also today, uh, along with our main guest, Shah, is Abu Bakr Cooper, who's a teacher and a regular uh, regular co-host of this program. Assalamu alaikum, Abu Bakr. Wa alaikum assalam wa rahmatullah. Ramadan Mubarak. Khair Mubarak. Jazakallah khair. We're going to welcome Naz Shah. Assalamu alaikum, Naz. Ramadan Welcome to Inspire FM and Friday Night Live again. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Jazakallah khair. So we're, as I've given a brief, I don't know how much of that you you call. Uh, but the government has, has rejected it. And the first I heard of, of this rejection was the fact that um, some some um, police chiefs uh, decided that it's going to impact 
um, their policing work. Now, to tell us, tell us why, what's the real reason why the government has actually rejected the definition, in your opinion? Well, so the government has rejected it, in my opinion, because the government is institutionally Islamophobic, and the government is refusing to accept Muslims' uh, experiences as defined by Muslims. I'm the vice chair of your party parliamentary group, and it's so I was part of the, I'm part of a co-author of a report, and and I was part of the consultation when we went out to Muslim communities. And and there is no other reason for it. There is uh, uh, the, you know, the, the only conclusion you can draw is a the, the Tory party is institutionally Islamophobic, and b that it panders to the voices, the fringe voices, um, who suggest in some sub- absurd way that this will bring in blasphemy laws through the back door, it will curtail freedom of speech, mm. or it will, as the latest one was, well, none of that works, so let's use the counter-terrorism narrative. Um, it's, it's a disgrace, absolute disgrace. So, so I think your definition, like you're saying, was, was based on research, right? It was based on sort of research or, or polling? What, what was your, what was the... No, the, the so we fo- went out, we went out across the country with yeah. other MPs. We went out to Manchester, Sheffield, Birmingham, London, and so we covered Yorkshire, we covered the Northwest. We, you know, we we went out and we uh, called for evidence, mm. and mm. we, in that evidence, people presented their what they what they felt was um, the, what the definition needed to look like. Um, and it's really really important to state that actually, when we set out to do this inquiry, we didn't have a definitive word. We were very much virgin on the word of anti-Muslim hatred. Mm. But when we listened to the community, this was mm. what came back from the community as part of that consultation. Mm. So, and so, so there's there's no denying, I guess. No, nobody would deny the fact that there is anti-Muslim hatred and there is violence directed at Muslims. Surely, with with what's happening happening in Christchurch. That cannot be denied. Um, so, so uh, to me, it sounds much more kind of like a, a fringe political party, I guess, or elements within the political party who are, are who are um, trying to sort of uh, trying to hide behind a definition. Would you agree with that or disagree? Well, well, it's not about hiding behind a definition. I think it's just about ignoring it. But it's about mm. insulting the Muslim community, mm-hmm. telling the Muslim community that it doesn't care, which mm. is loud and clear by what it's done. You know, the um, we have. Um, you know, the, the all body parliamentary group has since met with the chief constable who wrote the letter. The letter was leaked, um, you know, and I said this in my speech last week, and I'll say it again. It is just, you know, it is beyond comprehension how the machinery kicked in mm. just to suppress the Muslim voice. Mm. You know, we had a front page of uh, the Times, and we then had an, a letter leaked from the highest office, the Prime Minister's office. It is an absolute disgrace, and this is all about a Tory party, which is institutionally Islamophobic, which does not value... Muslim, which does not care about Muslims, and it panders to the right wing, it panders well, uh, to UKIP, it panders to those that use divisive narratives. But it's, it's, uh, it's, not, it's not entirely the Conservative Party, is it? Because there are voices within the Conservative Party who are actually mm. uh, actually supportive of, of, uh, of this, right? Yes, there, there are very, very few voices that are uh, are exception of it. So Baroness of RC is the treasurer of the All Party Parliamentary Group, and she's an absolute driving force behind this definition. But again, she herself will, you know, we had an Iftar in the Speaker's House the other day, and, and she said, you know, she made it very, very clear that she apologises for her party being institutionally Islamophobic. So there are voices that are saying, so the uh, Minister for um, the Special um, 
special envoy for freedom of religion mm. and the foreign office minister mm. lord ahmed tariq ahmed mm. um has said you know he, because they're using the idea that it doesn't come sectarianism well lord ahmed is a member of the ahmadiyya community and he's absolutely happy with it and so the truth is so he, he's he's actually opposed it as well then, is he? he's opposed it no he hasn't he supported it he right. supported it okay right so so there isn't the fringe voices are the people who like, you know, these people who have written to the Home Secretary, there's 40 signatories to that. Mm. And amongst there, amongst those signatories, are some very, very, uh, some of those people have got very, very dubious history mm. on being anti-Muslim and Islamophobic. Mm. So you, there are some, you know... Would you, would you care to name some to, on, on a radio? Well, there's, there's the, um, I mean, I don't have it to hand, but there is... Uh, one of the chaps who suggested that Muslims should swear allegiance and mm. um, you know sign a charter of allegiance, uh, signing allegiance to um, you know the country. It's like wearing it's like one of the actually it was an MP who said it's like wearing a yellow star. Mm. Mm. Um, I think hello, uh, Ness. This is Abu Bakay. A comment I'd just like to make um, since you're on the working party, and, and I, f for me, I, it's important to get this message across. Um, I'm English, born and bred. I've been Muslim 27 years, and uh, um, a definition of um, Muslimness, as it were, rooted in races, rooted on the basis of race, is isn't helpful. Because, you know, um, in this country, converts are, uh, of course, a, a rising uh, uh, number and force in our Muslim population. And, and, w and where would a definition of Islamophobia be if it was, if it was accepted that it was rooted in race? I wonder why you... Do you okay. what we've, so, so, yeah, I do. I'm, I'm glad you've asked that question. I'm glad you've made that comment. And I'd like to answer that. And, and look, the truth is, the Muslim experience right now is that if you wear a hijab, you are 85% less likely to get a job. Mm -hmm. If you have a sounding name, or Muslim sounding name, even uh, the algorithms on an insurance policy will quote you higher. Mm. Right? So we've had that, we've had that kind of evidence. Mm. If you have a Muslim sounding name, you will be, you, you will have experiences which you wouldn't have if you didn't have a Muslim sounding name. We have also presented to us research um, from the academics which have said that people who wear beards men in particular have been attacked because they've been perceived to be muslim hmm. and racism if you look at the con if you look at the consequences of racism and if you look at the running media definitions and running media the experts in race relations in this country and what omar omar was in front of the selection this week and what he said was really interesting was when you when racism the the, the fallout of racism is that you are treated differently and you are discriminated against so you won't get your job, you won't get interviewed, you less chance of getting a promotion, less chance of accessing things, you, you lose equal opportunities. Mm -hmm. That is the common sense understanding of racism across this country. And so for us, it was really, really important to recognize that it was prejudice. It was absolute prejudice, which was rooted in the same kind of framework of people's behavior which is rooted in racism mm. so that addresses a racism issue as as for if a muslim not being a race and, and i absolutely agree we have you know we have many muslims from different corners of the world but the, it's about the experiences being rooted in the experience of racism of how society understands racism and racism is about prejudice so it's rooted in that prejudice it's rooted in that racism mm. so that's what the report was about 
But it's, it's very important. I, I mean, if if, if some if someone is, is our elected rev- representative and you as the vice chair of the parliamentary group, if it's not recognised and and you push forward um, f- um, and stand up for my voice. Me as a Muslim for 27 years, how how am I helped in this situation? I've had a situation where um, I, I I mean I'm I'm going to be careful a bit on air and and, and not make make it obvious, but I I in my mind clearly have um, uh, um, experienced uh, situations where I've been bullied and forced out of uh, out of jobs because of this, and and, and I, I've had no situation of redress because being being white and English. Um, um, I can't say that it's on the basis of race, um, uh, uh, but, but I, it was very clear in my mind. It was it was my identity as a Muslim why I was being targeted. Mm. So one of the things I want to be really clear about here is that this definition is not a legally binding definition. Right. This is a working framework, right? Mm-hmm. So what your the laws that protect you as an individual in employment, for example, or any of the places in your digital business is religious discrimination and that's right. enshrined in the Equality Act. So that's very different. Mm. So this definition is not about holding people to account on a, an, in a legal, uh, in a court, so to speak. What it's about is about the society to understand what uh, what Islamophobia is, how it manifests, how mm. it um, how it, it, it takes away opportunities mm. and how it is now systemic and structural in society. So where we're past 2011, the dining table, dinner table test, as Baron Swarthy's um, speech was, we're now in 2019 at a place where Islamophobia is absolutely endemic, it is absolutely structural, mm. it is in institutions, and it is, I would argue that it is absolutely, it's absolutely institutionally embedded in the Tory party. Mm. And if I can just touch the what you said earlier about well, well let's face it that we 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 we've got, we, you know it, it's it's not it, it's it's obviously open because he published it. We've got a man now that's standing for for the election to be leader of the Conservative Party, potentially uh, our next prime minister, who openly described um, w- women of our community as uh, looking like looking out of letterboxes. Bo- yeah, I mean he, he's openly that is that is an open comment, isn't it? Well, this is, this is so, um, what I would say is, look, there's my speech is on my Twitter, it is on my Facebook, please go and listen to the speech, because in that speech I address these very pertinent points that you're talking about, and I address the issue of the Tory party Islamophobia, Boris Johnson's comments, because I was the, 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 I responded to that in my ministerial capacity at the time. I've responded, I was the one who um, asked for the debate in, in uh, during business questions where Andrew Ledson suggested we should, it should be a foreign office issue. So, you know, there's, there's all of the Islamophobia things that I have responded to very, very clearly. You can follow them. And I think it's important that as a community we understand. So for me, the question really, really is that the, the, the government right now is failing the Muslim community. It is failing those who are you know, who are attacked and is failing to understand what that is, understand the word Islamophobia, understand its connotations, its, its, what, the context of it, mm. how people are, are disadvantaged through it socially um, and, you know, do not have equal opportunities as a result of this prejudice. Mm. Right, and I okay. think it's really, really important. Right, can, can I, I think can it's I, really uh, important that we... Sorry, yes, go Yeah, ahead. I just wanted to summarise. So, so the, this definition effectively... Uh, seeks to call out expression of uh, 
of anti-Muslimness, right? Uh, but if acts of um, discrimination are carried out against Muslims, they are covered under uh, anti-religion laws, uh, religious discrimination laws, right? Am I am I right in thinking that? Or so 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 this is not a legally binding definition. If you have issues where you are discriminated against at work or your religious uh, yeah. or your race. That that is covered in the existing legislation. So, so on the on the st on the streets, if if I'm abused uh, and called names, etc., right, uh, then there's recourse for that, right? At the moment, the recourse for that is that is hate crime. Hate crime. So that is that is legally. So this is where the issue of um, the police suggesting that they can't police because of this definition is absolutely ludicrous. Mm -hmm. So we have existing legislation. And it worries me that the police, when they made that comment, uh, and why, like why the would they? Which members of the police made that then? So it's the police chiefs, basically. Yeah. I think there, there wasn't an exact member. There was, I think, press release from the, the police chiefs. Uh, why why so, would they come out with this? And is this? And I think Neil well, Basu has yeah. been quoted as, as saying that that uh, is too wide, etc. Maybe. So, so I have met with the Open Parliamentary Group has met with both Martin Hewitt and. Neil Basu following the further to the select committee hearing, uh, further to the leak from the Prime Minister's office, and the APPG is in correspondence with them. Um, and I, I that that's the, the communication which is happening, and I'm confident that they will be in a position where they will not be saying that um, mm. that it can't impact on counter counterterrorism at all. But but it's, it's a bit late now, isn't it? Because he's done the damage. Because the first I heard was was their statement. And I guess that might have been people who are opposing this, using that as a, a way of projecting their particular point of view. Uh, um, but Well, uh, I would agree with you. I, I absolutely agree that that was a tool that was used on the eve, and I, and I said that in my debate. Hmm. I said it really, really clearly. The machinery kicked in, and then you had the concerns of the Muslim community played out on a front wing of a right wing, front page of a right wing uh, paper, and it was absolutely beyond disgraceful and unacceptable. Mm. Which is why it, it it now leaves us as a Muslim community to define our own um, experiences, to make sure that we are heard, mm. that we stand together, and we have people who stand with us who are of our faith or none or other faith. Yeah. And you know, we need to, as far as I'm concerned, we need to now frame our own civil rights movement because we've got a government that just doesn't care and is not prepared to listen to Muslims. Yes, I mean, I, I guess that's what I was going to say. So it's not the end of the matter. There's there's more work to be oh, done, I guess. So yeah. can I ask you now, so go, going forward, as the opposition has uh, has the has the the Labour Party in, endorsed the definition? Yes. So every political party in the whole country, including the Conservatives in Scotland, uh, for which I thank Ruth Davidson for, they have all adopted the definition. Yeah, except the UKIPs and and the, the new Fringe. Except the current Tory Party in Westminster. Well, UKIP as well. UKIP has adopted it, have they? Well, you could not exactly well in government. In government, party, sorry. political party of relevance. Oh, right. <laughs> right, okay. So, I would say that that was uh, being kind of keeping that that fairness hat on. I think that's a matter of judgment coming from somebody who's a Labour Party member. Uh, but anyway, so so well, except that you know, UKIP as UKIP as in terms of political relevance. Let's be honest, UKIP is a divisive party that is advised by people like Tommy Robinson. Do we give them the 
relevance. It's, well, um, the, 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 represent, the representative is not here, so that's probably taking the direction, the discussion in a different direction. Uh, but so, so I think so. In terms of uh, uh, in terms of the, the, the near future, I guess while this government is in in office, uh, there, there doesn't appear to be a change, and it looks like looks like. Uh, things are going to get worse, and perhaps you'd like to maybe expand your comment on on May's departure well, today as well. I'm really, really worried because with mm. Theresa May going and the people that are lined up, mm. you know, um, in the wings, I don't certainly don't have any confidence in any of them. The truth is, I don't have a confidence in the Tory party. Full stop. What we really need is a general election. We're calling for a general election. So, what? Why would? Why wouldn't? No why? So, why didn't Theresa May? Call a general election because I mean, if if you look at it, spectacularly. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm not I'm not mm. a political pundit, but uh, I I would have thought those those people the the video nasties as I, I prefer, sometimes refer to them right they they want the easy option right they don't want to stand out stand in the elections get elected on their platform on their views what they'd like to do is get into the the, the top position by internal wranglings within the party uh, and they seem to have, may seems to have handed it on a plate for them so why why so I might missed missed your point but why didn't she call an election why didn't she say right okay I'm gonna well call she it. did call an election okay. she did call an election you've got to so we had the last general election in 2000 17. Why not now? Could she not have called an election now? She's not going to do it. She she wouldn't call an election because she knows she wouldn't win. It backfired in the last time. Why would it not backfire Mm. on this time? And of course, to stop the video nasties, maybe. But the, rea- the reality well, is the reason why she's not going to call an election, I don't know if you agree with this, Naz, is, is, is the reality is there's so much disunity within the Conservative Party uh-huh. itself. Yeah. And this is why Brexit hasn't happened, because she can't, she has not been able to get an agreement and one voice in the Conservative Party how they want Brexit to be. That's why her own party didn't get by her agreement and behind her agreement. And they know that if they went to the to the the general public with the general election, they would lose the vote. And the extremists in the in the Conservative Party that want an, a New Deal Brexit, they that the, they're the ones who are really in power in the Conservative Party. That's the one I see it. That's why the vote, the, the deal hasn't gone through, and they're scared that they would not win the vote, and then they would completely lose the whole pre- um, prospect of any Brexit at all. That's that's why it's not happening. That's my take. Anyway, what do you think, Naz? My my take is really simple. That Theresa May didn't negotiate. She failed in the negotiations because she mm. laid down her red line. But she, she was trying to bring that for a fourth time. <laughs> yeah, she she did, you know she she read down her red line mm. too early on, and she didn't. And then I'm just going back to the Islamophobia debate because we're talking about the definition. Yeah. One of the things that is really worrying me is that now the Tory Party was saying we're going to appoint two independent two people to come up with a new definition, and we're going to take we're going to insist it includes the issue of sectarianism, but that doesn't apply to any other community, and it um, and it, they will not use the word racism in it. And that is really, really worrying because here we have a Tory party which first a year ago was saying we don't need a definition to understand it. Now accepts it needs to understand Islamophobia, but it won't accept Islamophobia as the Muslims define it. But it will be, it will, it will tell us what our experiences of Islamophobia are, which mm. is extremely worrying. Yes, indeed, indeed, and some of those voices may well be in power next time we speak. We, we, who knows? Right, okay, we've got a couple of minutes uh, to go. Um, so I, I guess final few words for, for yourself, Naz, in terms of where next, what, what needs to happen and what the community needs to do, to be honest. I think a lot of the times that... Well, what the community needs to speak to their, to, to their, to their MPs, 
and if they haven't adopted the definition you need to put pressure on them to adopt the definition you need to be aware you need to arm yourselves with the facts and the figures about what's going on in government in terms of this Islamophobia definition because it's absolutely important and it's um and when the con when the government do decide to you know they need to get get uh, a new pm or a new prime minister soon um, that Islamophobia is definitely not going to be high on their agenda right now, but it's those Muslims that it impacts on, so mm. the, the, the community. And then it's not just about the Muslim community, because if we have attacks and if we have a rise of far right, it is breeding hatred and it is breeding divisions across our communities. So this just isn't about, there's one thing about protecting the Muslim community, but the other thing is about having a unified country and a unified, prospering country, and that only happens when we're together without division. Mm. It's really important that we understand and talk about this isn't just about protection of Muslims, it's about a better country. Because if we can protect Muslims, then we're, we're, we're providing equality for all, and that's what we need. Excellent. It was a, excellent. Jazakallah Hannah Shah for taking the time to speak to us today. I know it's, it's Ramadan and it's a bit tough, and especially in the evenings leading up to Iftar. Uh, thank you very much, Jazakallah for, for your time, inshallah. No, thank you. alaikum. Right, okay, so so that was that was an uh, interesting uh, debate. I think in a few seconds, uh, is is there anything else you want to add, Abu Bakr? Well, like I said before, it is crucially go crucial going forward. It, it must be identified that yes, um, Islamophobia in in many aspects, of course, it it is also racism at the same time. But we are singled out, you know. Yeah. My 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 children my children are Anglo Indian, of course. My wife's Indian, and you know, so okay, they they they, they experience Islamophobia, and it's on based based on race. Mm. But their dad, their dad, dad has experienced it. I've lost jobs over it. You know, if it's only a definition um, that is linked to racism, where does it leave the thousands of converts in our country? Indeed, excellent point. Exactly had for that Abu Bakr. Inshallah, we will. Talk again after the break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking about Sri Lanka, the unrest and violence against uh, Muslims in Sri Lanka. Stay tuned. Asalaamu Alaikum. Waalaikumsalam. You're listening to an Inspire FM podcast, making available our popular programs from our daily broadcast on Inspire FM. Welcome back. You're listening to Inspire FM. This is Friday Night Live. Uh, my name is Safar Iqbal. Uh, and we were talking about um, the rejection of the proposed definition of Islamophobia by the all-parties parliamentary group by the government. A definition which has been accepted by uh, major parties like Labour, SNP, Lib Dems, uh, Plaid Cymru, etc., etc., but not by the government. And the government has come back with some some uh, objections around freedom of speech uh, and have come up with some objections around security and etc etc which have been dealt with um, by uh, by those who propose the definition now we had Nas Shah uh, who talked about that in, in some detail before the break uh, and I guess the key headline for me was was that this this definition seeks to sort of try and define mm -hmm. define the expression uh, of anti-muslimness mm. um, so, so that, I think is, that is seen as racism. With, with, without doubt, going, yeah, without without going forward, what what is what is important going forward is is that brothers, sisters, you know, uh, our, our mums, dads, 
any any of you listening any of us that are experiencing what we consider that we felt discrimination going forward you know we we need to have the courage to uh you know um stand up for ourselves and uh, whether it be at your workplace union or whatever you know um make a report of it because unless our voices are heard uh and, and like going forward as as I did speaking to uh Naz Shah about the situation, asking her to identify that it's not just a race issue. I didn't understand. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Can you hear that? That's my that's my film thinking I'm asking sorry. a question. Oh yes. Sorry. Yes. <laughs> sorry. Put, put whatever it is. I've away. got I am gonna have to speak to my son and learn how to turn that thing off. Alright, okay, tell her. Alright, so let, let's move on. We're, we're, the next topic we're discussing today is uh, as you're aware, um uh, some weeks ago, there was a, was a horrendous attack uh, on churches and, and hotels uh, by a group of people who purported to be sort of uh, from a Muslim extremist group. Uh, and, and that caused devastation. In excess of 300 people were killed in those bombings um, in, in Sri Lanka. Uh, now, what's not been widely reported uh, is, at least as, as far as I know, is, is the violence uh, that um, has ensued after the events. And uh, we just wanted to sort of touch base with uh, with the current situation at the moment right in Sri Lanka. We have Hilmi Ahmed. We've had him on before. Uh, he's the vice president of the Muslim Council of Sri Lanka, who can give us uh, an appraisal of the current situation. Uh, Assalamu alaikum, Hilmi. Jazakallah had for basically coming on a show again to, to give us an update on, on what's happening uh, in Sri Lanka. Could, could you could you tell us, I mean, we, we, we talked at length about, uh, you know, the, the, the terrorist activities or terrorist events that took place some weeks ago, um, but I'm not sure so many people know that, that there has been a backlash, and, and we wanted to sort of get a picture of, of what the situation is now from yourself. Uh, yes, you know, the, the terrorist attack took place on... Uh, the 21st of April, and that was uh, mainly uh, the terrorists targeted Christian churches yeah. and uh, people who were at Easter breakfast. Yeah. But the retaliation which came uh, is uh, not uh, from the Christians or Catholics, mm. but from uh, uh, supposedly Buddhist extremists. Mm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that is uh, what worries us because it happened uh, almost uh, four or almost three and a half weeks uh, after the bombing. Mm. So this was not uh, anything, it cannot be called retaliation. Mm. It is a planned uh, assault on the Muslims. Right, okay. And, and this is happen- still going on or have things calmed down? No, it has, it has subsided now. Mm. Uh, actually, for the last three, four days, not, nothing has been reported. Mm. Okay. But, you know, it has been something which they had planned and carried out. Right. And and I know previously as well, there, there are some there's some extremist Buddhist monks. I think some of them have been actually sort of perhaps been called out as well in, in previous sort of uh, government sort of uh, uh, actions, but there, there's some extremist monks who are hold very extreme anti-Muslim views, not just in Sri Lanka, but also in Myanmar and other places as well, uh, uh, who have actually who have actually sort of carried out some of these or or instigated or encouraged these attacks in Sri Lanka. Uh, is it the same people, or are we talking about more random, different set of people? No, I think I think you know in this particular case. 
it was a more politically motivated right. uh, attack, and you know the, the the usual suspects, as I would call it, mm. that, is, that is the Buddhist extremist monks yeah. who are not leading it this time. Right. So th- this is much more kind of like inter inter politics uh, within mm-hmm. within Sri Lanka. Now I just wanted to sort of um, uh, just trying to get a feel of uh, the extent. I mean, I mean, you can get the extent of of the um, I, I, I guess the violence from I guess from casualties and numbers, etc. And we talked about that quite quite uh, quite a lot uh, when it came to the uh, uh, the terrorist bombing, but. Uh, was this widespread, and was there a lot of damage? Uh, was there a lot of people who were killed? Um, uh, what, what's what's the extent of this this well, violence? Yeah, two people have been killed, right. and it happened in three districts of Colombo. Right. Uh, the, uh, the estimated uh, loss uh, could run into at least two billion rupees. Two billion. Well, wow. uh, one large factory. Mm. One large factory. Uh, was completely gutted down, and that alone, uh, the investment was one billion. Wow! Uh, but others are smaller, smaller. Some some big hardware and other big uh, chains of shops, right. and those were in the millions, hundreds of millions. And then, of course, you know the small ones, mm. and then there has been damages to houses and mm. uh, and other uh, livelihood. Uh, uh, so, so, so con- contained to Colombo then, rather than throughout Sri Lanka. Well, it didn't it is not in Colombo? It was uh, uh, outside Colombo. This is uh, in the northwestern province, right? And uh, part of the northeast, uh, northwestern province, and not central province. Right. Okay. So, so it was actually different areas uh, within within Sri Lanka. Yeah. Uh, okay, so so I'm I'm just trying to sort of get a feel of how the Muslims feel at the moment. Then, the, what's what's the general feeling among Muslims? Uh, Muslims are feeling a lot better now, but you know we were in absolute fear mm. that you know this was going to spread all over the country, mm. and unfortunately the government failed to contain it mm. uh, as it was happening. Yeah, uh, but of course you know after two or three days. Yeah. I think the government could control, took control, but this is the same thing which has been happening to the Muslims, you know, in so many riots mm. against us, you know. After the damage is done, mm. uh, the government intervenes, and usually mm. the government imposes a curfew, yeah. and uh, the curfew is actually to force Muslims to stay in news, whereas the rioters uh, roam around freely. Mm. Uh, mingling with even the military. Mm-hmm. I see. Yeah. Okay. How have how have things been, uh, uh, Mr. Ahmed, with the uh, Christian community? Uh, you know, actually, you know, uh, thanks to the cardinal, you know, who came out very strongly against any uh, attacks or retaliation among uh, towards the Muslims. Mm. You know, the Christians have uh, remained very calm. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know the, the the cardinal is actually leading the reconciliation and peace effort, which so. has been a remarkable uh, leadership. You know, I mean, oh, that's that's that is truly lovely to hear. In Sri Lanka. That is lovely to hear. So, so going forward, then the, the 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 Muslim community and and the Christian community that was so 
horribly uh, harmed and hurt on that day. The, the Muslim community and the Christian community have, have been going forward. Uh, you've been going forward together in a very positive way then, mashallah. Yes, uh, you know, actually the Christian community as well as Muslims have mm. never had any problems in the history of Sri Lanka. Mm. You know, we have worked together against uh, Buddhist extremism mm. and, uh, and you know, I mean, we are both minorities in this country mm. and we face similar issues. But, you know, this terrorist attack targeting the uh, Christians mm. uh, came as a shock, not mm. only... Uh, uh, to the Muslims, but also to the entire Christian community, because wow. we had no, absolutely no, well, Mr. Uh, Ahmed, problems or direct it, it, confrontation it, with the. It, it was a shock to the whole world, Mr. Ahmad. I mean, I mean, Brother Hilmi, I mean, as Muslims, we, we were shocked here, you know, and, you know, we were horrified to see what happened. <laughs> Muslims all around the world were horrified to see what what happened to the uh, Christian community in, in Sri Lanka. Um, mm. But it's lovely to hear that you're getting on so well with mm. the Christian community and, and, and the cardinal there. That's such, that's such a beautiful thing to hear. Yeah. I, I just wanted to sort of um, perhaps uh, expand the discussion a little bit more on, on the events of the 21st of April. Uh, now, to, to many people who are not familiar with, with I guess, the, the geopolitics of the, that part of the world, yeah. uh, Sri, Lanka, Sri Lanka appears an odd choice for the, the likes of the, the people who are actually purportedly linked to sort of the, the Syrian ISIS, etc., etc., uh, to have targeted. Uh, what's what's the, the the thinking of of the the populace there? What was the reason why these people have actually sort of um, targeted Sri Lanka, or what's the people's perception why Sri Lanka was targeted? That uh, absolutely remains a mystery up to date, hmm. because you see, as I said before, the Muslims never had any grievances against the Christians. Yeah. So this certainly is not a Sri Lankan agenda or a Sri Lankan Muslim agenda. Mm. It is something which has come from outside and you know, somebody was making a call for mm. somebody else in the world. And, uh, you know, I mean, these, these terrorists uh, would never have been, uh, you know, sanctioned by anybody mm. uh, in Sri Lanka. Yeah. You know, it is, it is almost impossible for a Muslim to think that, you know, uh, we will go and kill innocent uh, Christians, mm. especially while they are at prayer. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and then I guess both of them are minority community, not necessarily one of them being in, in, a, in a position of power in a country where they are both tiny minorities. Uh, but, but I think I have seen reports uh, to indicate that that was revenge, right? ISIL's revenge for defeat in, 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 in Syria. Well, what, what, you got anything to to, uh, to talk, say to say about that? You know, uh, that is of course, you know, what ISIS has claimed that you know it, uh, they are part of this. Mm. But all the intelligence sources in Sri Lanka say yeah. that none of these uh, suicide bombers or their leadership had any direct link mm. with the, the top level ISIS uh, mm. operatives. Mm. Uh, yeah. Of course, you know, they feel that some of them may have had a very low-level contact where training would have been offered to them uh, in Syria or elsewhere. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, our intelligence sources 
tell us that, you know, they still can't link any major uh, sort of uh, nexus with the, the, the higher levels of ISIS. Yeah, yeah. And also, I, th I think you touched on it a little bit, right, in terms of the riots being happening three weeks later, right, and, and instigated by a group which wasn't really affected as such. I, I know, I think it's hard to, the, the, the whole country was affected. Uh, but that you know that particular group, the the Buddhist sort of extremist groups, etc., weren't affected by by these events. But they tended to, they took it upon themselves to retaliate some three weeks later. And you hinted that was politics. And I was re reading some articles about the political situation in terms of leadership. Uh, and then there's a bigger, I guess, geopolitical discussion to be had around the relationship of of uh, Sri Lanka with China. Uh, is that something that that you reflected on, or is that something that that you have some views on? You know, it's uh, you know the speculations are very high. Yeah. Uh, India had its own elections, and uh, yeah. Muslim terrorists in uh, in its southern border. Yeah. Right. Uh, would need a strong man there. Uh, you know, and uh, even you know, I mean, we we really can't understand mm. uh, why uh, our Muslims yeah. uh, would become suicide bombers mm. uh, for for a. Uh, fight which does not involve Sri Lanka, mm, mm. and uh, and you know the, the the saddest part in this whole thing is that you know the the people who have killed themselves yeah. are more or less the the, the leaders. Mm. So I mean, uh, so you know it's uh, it they didn't have any uh, any uh, sort of valid reason yeah. right yeah. to fight and kill themselves. Yeah, yeah. Right, so that, know, even during the thirty-year war, yeah, even during the thirty-year war, none of the LTT leadership became yeah. suicide bombers. So sure. here, the entire uh, top tier has gone. Hmm. So uh, what we see is that there might be a hmm. second wave, yeah. which might come up. The security forces in Sri Lanka have done a remarkable job at hmm. uh, uh, basically everything. All also could have been the Second year. Mm, excellent. Okay, so I, I, I guess move, moving on, moving the discussion on a little bit in terms of um, how the Muslim community uh, would actually sort of be conscious and, and aware of what's happened already. Move forward. Is it moving forward in a more more concerted, positive, active way? Or what's what's the thinking about Muslims, uh, uh, future of the Muslims in, in Sri Lanka? Yeah. Yeah, since the 21st of April, uh, there is there is a lot of inward looking yeah. uh, at how Muslims have changed yeah. over the last uh, three, four decades. Yeah, because you know, we never had uh, uh, this kind of uh, problems uh, for the Muslims. Yeah, but you know our our whole attire has changed more or less. Yeah, and we have come uh, the religiosity of the Muslims. Yeah. have increased tremendously. Sure. So, you know, these are things which uh, have hurt uh, majority community. Sure. So we are uh, definitely discussing these issues yeah. as a community now. Right, okay. And and I, I guess, are you, are you finding platforms, political platforms, etc., to be able to sort of, um, you know, organize yourselves as a community better and then maybe project your, uh, I guess, views and feelings and thoughts, uh, or not? The, the civil society and the business 
uh, community has been engaging hmm. the religious leadership sure. and uh, to see how you know, we can take the middle path and be, become Sri Lankan Muslims sure. and you know adapt uh, to an alien culture. Hmm. Right. Okay. Okay, Helme, uh, Zakla, have you know any final uh, final words that, that you like to say? Just to sort of appraise. I mean, we we worry from a distance. To be honest, we we hear about lots of different things happening to Muslims all over the world, from Rohingyas to to Syria to, uh, and we get snapshot of, of the information, and we tend to sort of you know form opinions based on that snapshot. But uh, yeah. and any final comments in terms of how we should yeah. view. Yeah, I would I would like to ask Muslims around the world to pray for Muslims in Sri Lanka. Sure. But also, you see, uh, you know, I mean, we are very uh, satisfied with the progress we are making as a community sure. to find uh, solutions to the crisis sure. and also to find to ensure that reconciliation mm. takes place uh, as fast as possible. Right. Okay. Hilmi Ahmed, Jazakallah Khair for your time. Thank you very much. And we'll speak again, inshallah. Assalamu alaikum, brother Hilmi. Jazakallah. Right, okay, so that was an update on, on, the, uh, on the situation in Sri Lanka. There have been, there have been sort of violence post the uh, events of the 21st of April uh, in Sri Lanka. Things appear to be getting back to normal. Um, and uh, there have been sort of discussions and then interchanges between the various communities, particularly the, the Muslim and Christian community uh, of Sri Lanka, who appear to be sort of trying to mend the fences, inshallah. Um, so I'm not sure, uh, Abu Bakr, whether you talk geopolitics or not. And I, I, I'm of the opinion, and sometimes I get criticized for it, that there are few things in life that happen without a reason. There, mm. There's always a spark and there's always a somebody to gain or somebody to benefit right from these events yeah. and it's, and they never ha- happen in isolation any thoughts on you know your views and on what's happening in Sri Lanka well first of all um all acts of extremism you know they are always rooted um ultimately it, it's not actually in religion it's always down to uh, essentially um uh Political issues to do with money and and and, and so forth, um, all all of the all of the acts of extremism going on with ISIS and, and its whole creation, it's it's all stemming from um, um, political and geopolitics. Yeah, it's it's all it's it, it's all political and geopolitical in its origins. ISIS in itself, essentially, how did it happen? It happened because essentially we had. Uh, a, 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 the whole Iraqi army sacked, left absolutely destitute. The situation was left so that um, they were completely unsupported, as the, um, uh, as it were, the the majority Shia government then took t- took power, and they were left victimized, and they were left they were left essentially destitute because after the Iraqi war, uh, the, the whole army was literally disbanded and sacked. 
and they had no um, means of income. So think about, I mean, was that a wise move? Well, what have you got? What is in an army? Well, they are literally trained. They are, tra they are trained. they are trained killing machines. So what did they do? They mobilized themselves. They organized themselves. And surprise, surprise, those were the people that started ISIS. You know, the origins of every situation that is, that is going on linked to and, and what, what, what unfortunately is called Islamic terrorism or Islamism it has nothing to do with Islam mm. it absolutely has nothing to do with the religion they don't speak for me they don't speak for you it's all it's all um, stemming from um, political action and unfortunately and it is something that uh, as Brits that we need to identify with if our leaders had been more wise when they went into these areas 10-15 years ago we would not have been having a lot of the geopolitical things going on in the world as we are now if things had been managed better ISIS in itself I firmly believe would not have happened Mm. And I think that sometimes the way things are reported as well, I think, uh, gives a wrong impression because a lot, a lot of the struggles for, for, um, should we say, freedom, uh, freedom in a, in a sense that that you know, separation from from a particular country or geo, geo geography, uh, is presented in an Islamic way. I'm talking about Chechnya. Chechnyans were described as being Islamic terrorists, etc. But effectively, it was a, you know, that there it was a more of a territorial thing they wanted independence from Russia etc similarly in Kashmir you see a lot of a lot of uh, descriptions of, of Kashmiris being described as terrorists etc but essentially it's a, it's a movement for separation they want to be distinct and separate from from uh, from a geography effectively uh, so in some ways uh, I think descriptions and labels and etc etc they they miss you know they are misrepresent the information yeah, of course, of course, and 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 and, and ev every situation, every situation where there there is conflict, um, it, it is really important that, that that where it is clearly based on the conflict alone, you know, that the, the, the people that understand the political issues going on in the in the in, in in the world, it really is important that we make it clear as we've done today where the origins are, mm. simply because. If we could, if we don't learn by the mistakes politically that we make, mm. and th this and, and this is something that the leadership of our country need, need, needs to identify with, we were as a country part of the errors that were made in Iraq, and we need to learn from them going forward, so that the same mistakes are not made again, because the the, the key thing is, is we need to be seen as a nation as just going forward we did make a mistake going into iraq we need to identify that we made a mistake going into iraq and that of course has had repercussions going forward not just for our country but other countries in the world and that has it that is what has led to the increase in these groups that have identified themselves as they call themselves isis but they are not so, religious, so they're effective, they're, but they are not a religious-based organization. They don't stand up first and foremost for the word of Islam. They are there as a nationalist movement going forward that was because they were disenfranchised. And, and a lot of that happened because we, when we were the victorious power along with the Americans, which, didn't we, look after those people when we should have done. Which makes it even more puzzling, the fact that these people just tend to sort of turn up 
it's a Syrian-Iraqi thing, and they turn up in, or their sympathizers at least turn up in, in Sri Lanka and cause havoc. But I, I think Helmi didn't answer uh, uh, answer the question, I guess, quite wisely being in, in Sri Lanka. But there is a struggle, geopolitically, there is a struggle going on in, in Sri Lanka between those forces who are loyal and, and looking to a better relations with China and those who look towards other nations, India, America, etc. So there's a big sort of theater of geopolitics going on there. Uh, it's in the, on that mix. So a lot of the times information that's presented to us is presented in, in an outer context fashion. Mm. An event has happened, but, you know, what's the bigger context? Sometimes we don't get that, and sometimes it's important to get a context, and then you can understand fully how things happen. Anyway, we're running out of time. Jazakallah had for everybody today for listening. And have and a good, good iftar, everyone. Inshallah, and see you next week. Inshallah. Salaam alaikum. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We stream our daily broadcast on inspirefm.org. You'll find all our daily updates on our social media at Inspirefm Luton.